You are listening to the Badass Lady Folk. I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. And on this episode, my lovely guest is Julia Real. Hi, Julia. Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This is yeah. so fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unexpected, right? Um, we are recording on Memorial Day, folks. Yeah, so uh, just roll with it. We're going to be <laughs> casual here, I imagine. Okay, so Julia, how do I know Julia? I know Julia because uh, she came highly recommended to me as a performer for my show Quail Tales at the Players Theater. And that's a comedy show, monthly edition. Every time is different. And we had this Commedia dell'arte edition. And Abigail Gabor, who I've interviewed, who's been on the show, Badass Lady Folk, said, oh, you have to meet Julia. Julia has to be in the show. Please, please, please. So, Julia, can you tell our dear listeners, what is Commedia dell'arte and why are you so good at it? (laughs) Thank you. So it's a form of Italian theater. It was from like way back in medieval times and it has various stock characters. And it's really interesting because we can see these stock characters even like in media today. Like, for example, in SpongeBob, we see all of the stock the stock characters present and these stock characters uh wear masks except for the lovers who do not wear masks and so there's masters and servants and it's really interesting because it's super funny but then it's also about these power struggles and it's actually really relevant today to the politics of today so yeah (laughs) yeah what got you interested in this form of theater So when I was in college, there were several different study abroad programs that I could do. Well, really only two for theater. (laughs) And so I was deciding where I wanted to study abroad. And naturally, I was drawn to the program in Italy, mainly because I have Italian ancestry. Uh, and also Italy is just, you know, Italy. So, <laughs> so that was the, the program was um, studying Commedia dell'arte as well as studying voice and movement and kind of putting that all together into a final show. So it was the most hands-on study abroad program that there was in terms of theater. So I really wanted to go and do that. So I did. And that's where I learned Commedia dell'arte. We made these masks and it was really, it was really fun. It was really exciting. What recommendations do you have for other college age women and non-binary folks who are interested in studying abroad? Why should they do it or consider I mean, I would say that you should consider doing it because it does definitely open your world up and it makes you a lot more confident. And I think For me, it got me out of the bubble of my college because my college, I mean, my theater program could sometimes get a little clicky. So it was nice to kind of get out of that and like meet other people from other schools and um, have these great, exciting experiences and meet new people. And yeah, so I think that would be my recommendation is to find a program where you're not just with other people from your school um, and also just really find a program that is going to cater to what you want and is going to uh, support you as a as a student, 
as an artist, if you're an artist and yeah, that's going to allow you to do the things that you want to do basically. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that it developed your sense of confidence and self in any particular way? Is it something you notice in any of the other students your age at the school? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that was really, uh, that was really cool. And it was really special because we were there in the spring. So when we got there, it was like really chilly. It was like chilly January. And then as time went on, it got warmer. The flowers came out and started blooming and we were blooming as people. So that was really exciting. Adorable. And it was, yeah. So we had, um, I mean, it was kind of cool because we were like, we got to be so close knit, everyone at my uh, study abroad program. And that's how I met Abby. And now we're really close friends. So we all got to be really close knit and like hanging out in the villa. And yeah. <laughs> that all sounds so precious and fun and important because developing confidence, especially as a young adult, can be tricky. Yeah. What were typical courses like? What was a typical day like? I mean, you weren't just running around all the time, right? <laughs> no, we weren't. So, uh, yeah, so we had um, three main courses. We had voice, movement, and Commedia dell'arte. So we, uh, yeah, so each day we would have those three courses, um, usually like two or three of them a day and sometimes we had longer uh longer classes sometimes we had like longer voice classes or longer commedia classes or longer movement classes but we also had uh italian classes and we had um philosophy classes so those classes we kind of got a break from like running around in the studio and we were just kind of like you know sitting in a classroom learning italian or talking about philosophy and yeah, so that was kind of our usual day. And then we had breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, all served to us in the villa. And we also, every once in a while, we had like shows that we were uh, either putting on or that, you know, some of the other groups were putting on. There was also a dance program and a one-year program going on at the time. So yeah. Yeah, it sounds very vibrant. Yeah. Were, what were some of your main surprises in Italy what kind of culture shock did you experience hmm I'm trying to think it's kind of hard to think about culture shocks because I think I was there I feel like I don't know the culture there made sense to me in that it was a lot of like just kind of slowing down and like taking things one step at a time and I actually really appreciated that. So it's like, it was like, ah, this is so nice. So I didn't really feel like a shock to me. It was just kind of more like when I came back and I was like, oh, America's not like that. That sucks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so what were, what were some of the rituals around slowing down? What were things that you noticed? So something that's nice in Italy is that if you're like a little bit late, people are pretty chill about it and okay okay what's a little bit late <laughs> like maybe like five to ten minutes late people don't really okay, care okay. like more so in america it's like go 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 right. and also in italy you don't really get to go cups at like coffee shops mm. you just kind of have to sit there and drink your coffee which is really nice actually and you have um 
and nobody's rushing you out of a restaurant you can just like sit there and linger and camp at your table and nobody cares so there's a lot of that a lot of just kind of like you know take your time um yeah <laughs> type of culture and just kind of very it's very chill did you have a chance to meet an Italian family and spend time at their home or were you living in a dorm? We were living in a villa. So it was basically like a dorm, but it was like the same building where we had classes and everything and where we, you know, went to dinner. And so, yeah, it was pretty much a dorm and I had a roommate and she was lovely and we, um, we had our own bathroom and yeah, it was, it was like a dorm but in a villa (laughs) (laughs) wait how old was the building 400 years old (laughs) I love it I knew you were going to say a very big number (laughs) there were ghost stories many ghost stories (laughs) wow well that's great for someone with the theatrical imagination I'm sure yeah (laughs) Okay, could you tell me more about some of these different stock characters in Commedia dell'arte and anything you might know about how they have evolved over the years, any modern day criticisms? Um, I'm curious about how something so old can still hold up today. Yeah, so we have we have the masters. We have Pantalone, um, Capitano, and uh, Dottore. And Pantalone wants to be rich. That's his whole thing. Um, he's like Mr. Krabs, basically. Uh, Capitano <laughs> is uh, he wants to be this strong war hero, but he's actually really, really weak. Um, and tries to, like, hide his weakness with a lot of bravado. And Datore wants to be, like, he tries to come off as, like, this really, really, really smart guy, but he actually is, like, kind of speaking out of his ass. So (laughs) he just likes to say a lot of long words and be like, look how smart I am. And um, so those are, like, the three masters. And they have servants. There is uh, Arlecchino, who's, like, really playful and fun and is trying to get the girl, but also is really into food. Um, He's kind of like Spongebob in a way, like, that kind of, like, playful, fun energy. Um, We have uh, have Brigella, who is, like, a hard worker and wants to do the right thing. We have uh, Puccinella, who is very, like, sleepy and lazy, but, like, <laughs> he's kind of, like, he's, like, he he works smart. He does not work hard. He, like, finds ways out of his work. He's, like, <laughs> that's the, uh... And then there is Zani, who is basically just an idiot. He is a servant, and he's just an idiot. That's his whole thing. And um, all of these... And then there's the two lovers... Who are basically just, you know, two characters that are in love and they're very over the top. Oh my God, dramatic. Like, oh my God, I'm so in love. Oh my God. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so those are the main characters that I can think of. There's like a few others. There's also Columbina, who's kind of like, she's kind of like, uh, she's a servant. She's kind of sexy. And there's like Strega, the witch. Mm-hmm. Um but those are the main ones that come to mind. And 
with these characters, it kind of um like we get to see all different like power dynamics and mm. it's really interesting cuz I remember when we were learning about these characters, we were like, okay, Pantalone, Capitano, Dottore, these all kind of seem like Donald Trump in a way. <laughs> <laughs> like the kind of like oh i want money and then the trying to be really really strong be like look at me i'm so strong i'm number one it's like definitely um you can definitely relate it to a lot of the politics going on nowadays and a lot of different um kind of political characters you see and a lot of different power dynamics that exist so that's always really interesting and yeah and there's just like so much media where it's actually like you can relate to care you can be like oh my god mr krabs is pantalone <laughs> and just like like it really these stereotypes and stock characters are seen today and they're more like archetypes rather than stereotypes mm. in that they're kind of like you know the um the architecture behind a character it's mm. not like a um the image of a character so yeah it's definitely like these stock characters can be used today to reference to like the current political situation and to be referenced to reference to like political dynamics and power dynamics going on today yeah that all sounds fascinating so could you tell me about the kinds of shows that you put on at the academy so we mainly did like we did we did a few uh cabarets which is basically like okay you can do whatever you want <laughs> you know you can do whatever you want you have the space to perform in like go nuts go wild and those were super fun and we kind of just like got together and put things together and everyone had different ideas and I was with in, in like so many different pieces and so we had these cabarets and then we also had our big final show and that was basically we took everything we worked on all these commedia scenes the things we learned in voice and movement and just put them all together and so that was really exciting and that was like site-specific <laughs> And so we were performing this huge movement piece on the roof of our studio while the sun set, and it was insane. Wow. And so, yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> wow. So, what is the school's reputation in town? Um, I have to be honest. I'm not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. I did not get to get to know. It was hard to like get to know. Like, it's weird because I lived there for so long because I went back to work there. But it was hard to really, um, like, everyone knew of the school and everyone knew of the school's existence, basically. But it's, it, I don't know. I didn't really get to know that many specific, like, Italian people within town, which is, I think, definitely one of the biggest struggles of my time there was just, like, trying to, like, get to know and get to kind of be part of the community. Hmm. But I do know that most people knew of its existence. So when you said Academia dell'arte, they were like, oh, you're one of them. Oh, cool. You do your stuff. <laughs> Where were most of the students from? Uh, mostly America. It's mostly a school where American students come, but there were a few students that were from like places like um, Greece, 
Um, I think one girl was from Switzerland. We had one girl come from Mexico. In the summer, we usually had more of a varied group, but it was still uh, mostly Americans. <laughs> so the language of instruction was English? Yes. Okay. And did you go there? Because the, I, I'm asking the next question because so many people are afraid to study abroad because they don't know, or at least they're not confident in a second language. Did you know any Italian before you went there? Nope. I knew like maybe two words. I knew manja, which means eat. Because <laughs> I learned that growing up. But um, yeah. So I knew eat. That was like the number one. I I forget what else I knew, but I definitely knew eat. And that's kind of it. And I got there. Giorno or prego. Yeah, I knew like, yeah. So then when I got there, I was like, okay, whatever. I'm going to learn. I mean, they're like, yeah, yeah, you learn when you get here. It's fine. You learn when you get here. And then you learn when you get there. (laughs) And you don't really need to know Italian in class. I mean, it it did help sometimes when we had Italian speaking professors. Right. But like you didn't need to know it in class. And then um yeah, and then when you went into town, we knew enough to get by. So, you know, we knew enough to order coffee and everything. And yeah. And then I mean, as as time went on, I did learn more and I, I did learn more to ta- more Italian. I still feel like my Italian could have been better <laughs> by the time I had left because I was like, I have been here for so long. <laughs> Yeah, could you clarify exactly how long you were there? So it's interesting because I, uh, so at first I studied abroad there from uh, June, January 2018 to April 2018. And then I liked it so much that I decided I was going to try and get a job there because I knew that there was one position that they always had former students doing. And I knew that the girl who had that job that, um, she was going to be leaving that job soon so i applied for her job then in the fall of 2018 i got it i went back in july 2019 and then i uh had to leave in march 2020 because of you know (laughs) pandemic (laughs) which was definitely quite a wild time and then i finally got to go back i was like so unsure if I was even going to get to go back I was like is this school gonna still exist you know (laughs) and then I got to go back in uh July July 2021 July 2021 and then I went and then I finished my job there in May of last year so it's been a year that I've been back in America permanently (laughs) yeah yeah could you describe the atmosphere in March 2020? It was okay, so it was really interesting because in like the end of February, I remember there were a lot of schools like sending students back home in Italy and we were like we're not sending you guys back. We're not doing that. And then 2 weeks later, we're like, oh, "Okay, so you guys have to go home. We're sending you home." <laughs> So it was very much like we were all like, oh, this COVID thing's going to be nothing. It's going to be nothing until it was something. And then it was like, oh, okay, no, we all need to leave. And I was good. They were like, you know, you live here. You can stay as long as you want. And then I was kind of faced with the fact that the students were leaving. And 
I was, if I stayed, I would have been completely alone in the villa with like no other people, no pets, no nothing, no, uh, just no social interaction. (laughs) And also the Wi-Fi there was horrible. So (laughs) like internet interaction might've been impossible. So, uh, (laughs) and then also I wouldn't have been getting paid because of, you know, my job. Um, yeah, that, that's so, a crucial element. <laughs> so, yeah, I ended up going. I was like, yeah, I need to. It was when I came back from spring break and my boss was like, yeah, no, you can't hug the students to say goodbye. You can't touch them. I was like, oh, this is getting serious. I should probably consider going home. And so I left on like probably the last possible flight on March 13th because I was originally going to fly back on March 14th and that flight got canceled and my mom like saw that the flight got canceled and got me a new flight and like called me when I woke up at eight o'clock in the morning which was two o'clock in the morning uh, America time and so she's like hey yeah no uh you got a new flight get to Rome because you're leaving tomorrow morning (laughs) yeah but you must have seen the tension right like I was yes yes time it just became so eerie so quickly like one day yeah because we were we were very much in denial until like I remember because it was spring break and it was right before during spring break we decided we were canceling the rest of the program and so then they're like oh but go on your spring break trip don't worry and so I did (laughs) despite that which is kind of maybe a dumb decision now looking back where was your trip um, so first I was going somewhere, um, I went to a town in Italy, I went to Ancona, and then I met a friend in Paris. <laughs> so, um. And the Louvre was closed and everything, but we still had a lot of fun. But every day I would go back to my hotel and check the uh, COVID cases, and they were higher each and each day. And yeah. I was like, uh, oh, <laughs> this is maybe not a good <laughs> maybe well, I, and yeah so <laughs> I, I think at this point it's easy to feel some shame about those decisions I think a lot of women especially have internalized some of some of that shame from that time period yeah <laughs> as we are often socialized to do but it was so it was just unprecedented yeah exactly because we were like in Italy, we were all like everyone who I talked to was so in denial until it actually was like, okay, we can't, you know, there's nothing more to do than to just, you know, yeah. Everything. I mean, virtually nobody who went through the Spanish influenza <laughs> shenanigans is alive to remember that. So Mm-mm. why would we know? <laughs> No, we wouldn't. It's just, it's so different today, too, so. Yeah. All right. I want to hear more about Tuscany just as a place. Paint me a picture. What does it look like? Is it as gorgeous and old as all the photos show it to be? What What were some of the most surprising historical things that you saw or learned? Oh, it was gorgeous. It was really beautiful. Um, the view from where I was was um the view from uh the villa where I was was 
insane it was um we were like on a hill so it was this insanely beautiful view and we were surrounded by like tuscan countryside and all of that and it was so gorgeous and um yeah there were a lot of cool things i'm trying to think of something specifically cool <laughs> some historical fact oh my god i mean i love so i love when you said your villa was 400 years old yeah that was yeah i mean all the buildings were just much much older than um you know here in the u.s like here in the u.s like a, an old building is 100 years old in italy like there were buildings that were 400 years old all over the place um <laughs> so yeah we had the joust each year that i got to i only got to go to it once because i like a yeah, medieval jousting tournament yes yes oh no i went to it i went to it twice that's a lie i went to it twice but um, but um yeah so we we uh we had a joust we had um we have an, an antique fair that people would come to see um like that was probably the most touristy time because that was like Ooh. once once a month and Arezzo wasn't a touristy place but it's um whenever there was a joust or the antique fair it was very touristy and there were these like um like on, on my last day there, I remember I went to so many museums because I was like, you know, I need to make sure to like see everything before I leave. And so um, like the things that just existed in these museums that were just so like beautiful and old and historic were insane. And yeah, I'm trying to think of something specific, but there's nothing specific that's coming to mind, but it was yeah, yeah. it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous and there was I mean it's interesting because like the main street, you can tell the architecture is definitely much older than here, but you still have like these modern street signs and these modern kind of, you know, storefronts and everything and the phone store and the there's a Sephora and a GameStop and so <laughs> I remember when I studied abroad, I was completely overwhelmed. And I think many students can identify with that feeling, at least at first. Like at some point. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I am curious about social issues that came up in your courses. Like you said, you took a philosophy class. What was that like? Did you talk about contemporary issues or is it more like a historical look at philosophy so it was interesting because we were um I feel like the readings that we read were definitely older but we did reference them to like kind of current pop culture like <laughs> we were talking about okay what is avant-garde art like mm. art that's for art's sake versus kitsch which is like more so art for capitalism's sake and I remember we were like in that class, we were talking about, like, um, what's it called? <laughs> we were talking about Shrek, and, like, <laughs> two people got into an argument about that. And, some like, someone's like, well, that could have been art for art's sake. We don't know. We don't know. So maybe someone's really <laughs> passionate about Shrek, and they're, you know. And, um, yeah, so that was really interesting because um, a lot of these readings were older, but we were applying them to more modern um modern pop culture but definitely a problem that we did come across as students were that 
there was maybe only one reading that was by a woman. <laughs> so I don't know if, um, well, the thing is that class has changed so much. Now it's like such a different class. A lot of the classes has, have changed so much. Like I'm not a hundred percent sure what readings the students are doing now, but I hope that they're doing more readings by women, by um, people of color. So that was definitely a big social issue that we came across my semester and uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it seems to be something that students in the past decade I mean I'll say as a millennial certainly yeah definitely became a lot more prevalent and something that students would notice and not just notice but speak up about and ask if not demand for a syllabus to be updated right or there for there to be different kinds of readings different kinds of guest speakers at least to supplement some of these uh classic and historical texts that were expected to know as part of the western canon exactly yeah and like then when i was working there whenever the students were like complaining about something or like standing up for something i'm like guys i'm on your side <laughs> i was like, like yep i'm on your side <laughs> so as someone who has studied theater in the united states and in italy do you have any general observations or maybe more specific ones about differences between american and european theater well, I feel like European theater, um, I mean, I was mainly just in Italy, but the theater that I saw there and the theater that I experienced there compared to like, um, compared to American theater was um, like the theater there was just a lot less kind of uh, strictly representational, a lot more abstract, a lot more, um, I guess, kind of classical in a sense. But like, um, like I just remember there was one play that we saw like towards the end of my time there where everyone was wearing masks and it was like all just pantomimed and there was like music in the background and so there was no words whatsoever. And so a lot of it was, you know, less strictly representational and um, realistic and more kind of just playing with, you know more abstract ideas, more absurdist ideas. And I think that definitely opened my mind. And I mean, also when we were doing the cabarets and when I was watching the students create things, they created some really interesting abstract things. And it was really exciting to kind of open my mind in that way, you know? Yeah, what were some of the uh, productions that you're college that Muhlenberg College put on while you were a student there um let's see well I know they did they did Brigadoon they did well each semester each music each um yeah every fall semester they did a musical hmm. um and it was typically American or British yeah it was like um like I remember the um the director of the theater program at the time he had he had his specific favorites and they always mm. did like one of his favorites um they did like i remember they did the mikado like three times for some reason which is <laughs> it didn't make any sense because they didn't have that many asian students so oh that's that was a <laughs> that was a problem um but um they did a lot of like 
uh yeah they did brigadoon they did like um sunday in the park with george they did pirates of penzance so those types of musicals yeah um they what did dramas? um or was it were all the department-wide productions musicals no well they also did a uh they did a few student written plays they had like a student written play festival which i thought was really nice because then you know you got um there were a lot of opportunities for student written work which was really exciting um we had those and then we also had um like one just kind of like regular drama and then i think in the spring we also had uh we didn't have any musicals we would have like a few dramas or like comedies or whatever i'm i mean i feel like we did i feel like we did some more interesting exciting things in the spring (laughs) like there was wig (laughs) out which was like you know that had that was about drag queens and drag culture and that was really cool um it was a really cool thing to see and um yeah and then we also had um lower we had besides just the main stages we had um studio productions and then we had red doors which were um one acts that anyone could direct even if you didn't have any directing experience Hmm. so there was a lot to audition for (laughs) yeah well that definitely sounds like there were plenty of opportunities then um do you have any favorite i was going to say playwrights but i'm just curious what i really want to know is theater makers in general like who's making Mm -hmm. theater that excites you today that is a difficult question (laughs) or or because and this maybe you relate to this um i know many people who studied theater but because they were in school during the pandemic or they graduated not long before it, they really turned their attention to digital media, to streaming, to social media, um, to film and music, because they just have not had the chance to experience a lot of in-person, traditional, on-the-stage kind of theater. Do you relate to that at all? I mean, definitely, because I feel like there are just... The thing I love about the internet is I feel like there's just so many... um, Like, there's just so many people who are just creating so many cool things that, you know, you have so much, like, that everyone can access, which I just find so, so exciting. And so, you know, you can look at there's like so much art, so much art and music and videos and so many different ways. Oh, my God. My cat's playing with this. It's okay. I love cats. (laughs) He's he's a very listeners love cats. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) But there's just uh, there's so much, so much going on on the Internet, which I find very exciting. And um yeah, I'm trying to think of any specific theater maker in general that I've seen doing something exciting. All right, and well, if anything my comes brain to mind, is just yeah. going blank right now, but no, I'll it's see all right. if anything I comes put you to on mind. the spot, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, at the Acad- uh, Academia del Arte, did you, speaking of the internet, did you create any kind of digital work there? Or did the students who, when you became an employee, make anything that was for the internet? Or was it still just very traditional, we're focusing on the stage? 
Well, it was really interesting. Actually, now that I think about it in the fall, there were quite a few students who were really into filmmaking mm. who made like short films as part of their um like as part of their big final show and put them in their big final show as like projections and mm. that was just it was amazing i mean their 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 final show was it was insane but <laughs> um yeah i uh it was really really cool the way they were combining that digital work with in person work and that was I, I loved it. I loved it. And um, I remember one girl ended up going to like grad school for film after that. And good for her. Because <laughs> it was just like, you know, like that work was really cool. So that was like the one big, that was like the one big kind of moment where I noticed them really getting into digital work um, and incorporating that into their work. And that was, that was really cool. What are things that you wish you had learned in college as a theater maker mm. in terms of technical skills, digital art, filmmaking, photography, anything that you think might uh, just enhance this this toolbox you have of storytelling skills? Yeah. So when I was in college, I kind of, I kind of, uh, put my hands into everything like I kind of did as much as I could because I both I double majored in theater and media and communications both because I was super indecisive and because I wanted to be open to as many opportunities after college um which is definitely double majoring is 200% something that I would recommend and I also double concentrated which was wow. maybe too much but um wait what were the concentrations come uh, on my concentrations were acting and set design mm. and I think the one thing I wish I got to do is I wish like for my set design concentration I got to um actually I mean I got to design a set but it was made of cardboard which mm. was something that happened at my college was literally everyone who was doing a studio production every semester during the studio productions, there was one that decided to use cardboard and they acted like it was a creative choice. It wasn't because everyone decided to do that at one point. But, um, but no, that was, I wish I got to like do bigger set design for like, have the chance to do it for like a main stage or even help work on it for a, like a bigger main stage. That would have been really exciting or the chance to like work with projections even mm. that would have been really exciting um uh the thing with the muhlenberg um cue is when i was in the, the theater major it was a paper now they think i now i think they actually do like a hands-on cue which is like of course of course after i've left you decide to change that muhlenberg but you know <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah i do wish my final had gotten to be more hands-on and i gotten to explore a little more in-depth set design or um or also like in-depth acting on a production as part of my final but um yeah so that's definitely that would have been really fun yeah i think a lot maybe when you have more distance from it you'll have different thoughts about what you wish you had done in college I know now that I've been out of undergrad 
a little bit more than 10 years. <laughs> um, I, I know that my, my thoughts on what I learned and what I didn't learn have changed and I there's just so much pressure and again I'm speaking as a woman and I'm speaking for other women which I shouldn't necessarily do and that's why I like to to talk to other folks about their experiences um but I know I have given myself a lot more grace I've cut myself a lot more slack same yeah I I, I definitely feel that too and I kind of that's another thing I wish about college is that I wish I had maybe stepped back and allow myself to do less in some instances because <laughs> a lot of the time I was just trying to do everything I was just yeah. really um <laughs> I was like I'm gonna be the president of this club I'm going to be the treasurer of this club and I'm gonna take five classes each semester and audition for every single play and it's like you know I didn't have to do all of that I could have yeah. you know maybe just giving myself a little bit of time to uh, chill out yeah yeah but 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 then I I waver between those thoughts because sometimes I say yeah I could have spent more time just decompressing right or or like really sitting with a project or assignment and not just doing what I needed to do to get an A but doing something I really felt so proud of yeah exactly right and and fulfilled by um but at the same time I know that because I pushed myself in certain ways I was able to make certain contacts and uh get certain opportunities right so it is a struggle yeah um, trying to decide what to do and how much to do yeah, I mean, I'm definitely glad I'm double. I double majored, and I took so many different classes, and I learned as much as I could, and I did like various short films and things, and had a lot of different fun. I had a lot of different things I was learning, but then I feel like there were some times where I could have just like you know done a little bit less, <laughs> just like a little bit less. <laughs> oh, what was your experience like in? your job because that was your first job out of college it was it was yeah it was definitely at first I was like so so excited to be there because it basically was when I was in college my last year after I left the academia it was my dream then to go back there and work there and so at first when I got there I was like so like excited but also stressed and worried that I wasn't going to be good enough at it And so it was a lot of fun. And I think it was, I think it was really great to get um, so much experience meeting various young artists, meeting, um... can you hear what's going on in the background? No, not not (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) And now I'm just going to imagine ghosts and unicorns and other magical. Okay, that's good. I'm glad. (laughs) And our listeners will as well. Okay. (laughs) Let your imaginations run wild. (laughs) Okay, good. Because, you know, there's some ghosts going on. But anyway. Lots of ghosts. (laughs) So let me just, I'll just start over. Um, But yeah, no, it was really interesting because I was, um, 
so so excited to work there but then when I got there I was so excited but also so so nervous that I wasn't going to be good enough at the job mm. and so it was very stressful but then really really exciting and then I kind of um I eased into the position and I got to meet a lot of cool young artists who I became friends with and I got to travel and I feel like the thing that sucks is I think by the time I was really starting to like feel super comfortable in myself, in my position, in my job there, supporting these young artists, um, that's when COVID happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I had, like, I remember like the week before that, I remember it was like the end of February and I was like, oh, today is so amazing. I finally feel really happy and at peace here. It's so great. And, <laughs> and then a few days later, it's like, okay, yeah. um, Yeah, so uh, we're canceling the program. <laughs> for the rest of the semester and I was like oh great so then it was like um uh I felt really blessed then to be able to come back after COVID but the hard part is that so much had changed right and so it was everything was different so I had to get completely used to being there again and my Italian was super rusty and so yeah it was definitely an interesting job in that it wasn't just um, like a typical job where you go in and it's nine to five and then you go home. It was like I was there and I was also on call. So if there was an emergency, the students could call me at any time. So it's definitely weird because I really, really miss um, working there um, in some ways. I miss being in Italy and all of that beauty and having access to those studios and being around so many artists. But there's a lot I don't miss in that I don't miss having a phone that college students can call anytime when there is an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because there there can be many quote unquote emergencies from yeah. 18 and 19-year-olds that are not actually emergencies, right? Yeah, I had to um I mean thankfully they were a little older than that. They were like mostly 20 to 21. Okay, okay. But um so, you know, a little more mature but still <laughs> You know, and I had to like um clarify and make sure, like, okay, make sure that they knew, um, like, okay, this is an emer- this is what an emergency is, this isn't what an emergency is. Right. Like, you know, and like the proper channels to contact me and everything. And um and yeah, and it sucked also when there was like a problem between the students and the um administration, and I felt like I was like smack dab in the middle. Mm. I was just like I was just like I stand with you guys <laughs> but um yeah there was definitely um I mean it was a theater school so there was drama from time to time <laughs> of course and so um I definitely it's weird because I definitely miss being in Italy it was so special and sometimes my life feels so boring now in comparison but also I like when I come home from my day job and I'm just like I don't have to know about any drama going on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was going to say again about giving yourself grace, right? I think especially in the first job or even two or three jobs after college, um, and especially if you were some kind of art student in undergrad, you can feel pretty overwhelmed by the corporate world uh or even even in um 
an institutional setting right it's yeah not just exactly big corporations there's a lot of as you said drama there's just a lot of navigating different kinds of personalities and rules and Definitely, protocols yeah <laughs> and you just don't get full exposure to that in college no and I think it's just crazy because then um in like in my first job there was so much more you know when you're in college you're just responsible for yourself and then you get out into the working world and I was I mean I was responsible for not just myself but also these students and whatever was going on with um with them and so that was definitely a lot taken (laughs) yeah for sure well and then there are all these studies too and, and um more anecdotal kind of stuff, surveys from uh, that focus on women and how we tend to feel this imposter syndrome or uh, a lack of comp- comp- uh, confidence and competence in our jobs in a way that men often don't feel to the same mm-hmm. extent, if at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was really interesting because this position was pretty much, I think... I think it's pretty much almost been exclusively held by women. I was going to ask you. Yeah. (laughs) It's been exclusively, almost exclusively held by women. And um, I was, I was trained by the girl before me. And then I trained the girl who got the job after me and everyone who's had the job, I believe has been a student there. And that's like the whole point of the job is that you're an alumni and you know what's going on there. And it's interesting because we've kind of uh, we've kind of called like referred to that role as like the big sister role, basically. Mm -hmm. And then my boss was like the mom. Right. (laughs) So it's definitely interested in how like female coded that role is in terms of like, you know, supporting students and I did love being that support person but then it was also you know I had to make sure to take care of myself and that did get hard sometimes yeah yeah because this expectation of care and nurturing and empathy is just placed on women even when we don't want it and sometimes we do want it and we do like it but it doesn't mean we like it all the time or to the extent that others expect it of us it can be too much and it was interesting because when I first started working there there were way more women professors and they were like the most supportive and nurturing people like and one of them actually had my job before me and Mm. so it was interesting because they were in that position and I think just having people around who were um kind of um who were very supporting and who were um also fellow women felt like it felt so much like home and then I think it was just the fact that um these people um felt like home and then it kind of sucked when I came back after COVID because yeah two of them had left so then it was definitely hard to acclimate to being there again yeah well and that is also a a bummer and in some ways a blessing just the different ways that we're all adjusting to this post-covid quote-unquote life now right it's just a constant yeah totally yeah negotiation okay i'm gonna shift because we've already started 
like touching on gender based issues, which always come up in this show. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to ask you the question that I ask almost everyone when I remember, which is, are you a feminist? And if so, why? I mean, of course. Um, but <laughs> hey, of course. I'm always shocked by who says no. <laughs> yeah, but um, yes, I am. And I think growing up, I kind of, um, like, when I was a kid, I didn't really notice the way, like, you know, I didn't notice sexism. I didn't notice it, but I just knew kind of, you know, once I learned what feminism was, and really, really learned what it was, I was like, yeah, of course, duh. <laughs> and I remember it was interesting. I remember in high school, we were like, I remember we were learning about feminism and our English teacher, really nice woman, but didn't do a great job of describing it. And I was like, like, oh, she was like, oh, being a feminist is like, you want people to hold the door open for you or whatever. And I'm like, that's uh, okay. Um <laughs> I don't know if I really need people to hold the door open for me or whatever. Like, I don't know. It was just, like, not, like, a clear way of describing it when basically it's just, like, you know, supporting equal rights for women, men and women. So, yeah, of course I am. And once I really learned what it was and once I, as I got older and I kind of um, experienced more issues in terms of, like, sexism and stuff like that and, um experienced more um like I had like a crazy ex-boyfriend who was kind of like constantly messaging me and like felt oh. entitled to my uh friendship even after we had stopped dating and he had been kind of obsessive throughout the relationship and I was like dude I just want to get away from you and experience things like that and like you know the times when I was walking around in the streets um hanging up posters for a play at my internship and people were like <laughs> cat calling me and whatever like stuff like that yeah. um you know then I was like yeah we need <laughs> we definitely need feminism and yeah it's kind of interesting because when you're young and you first learn what feminism and you're like is you're like yeah I'm a feminist and then you get older and you're like Oh yes, yes, we we need feminism. Oh my god, yes, we need it. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. It it can uh, as your life evolves, you just become more and more aware of all these inequalities. And, yeah. <laughs> and angry, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, and one of the challenges is to not be angry all the time but to still assert yourself and to want things exactly. to be better for other girls and women <laughs> exactly yeah all right so now I'm going to ask some pretty open-ended questions uh the kind that artists hate uh <laughs> what 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 are some of your goals and dreams for for your creative life you never know who's listening to the show just what what do you want what are the oh, kinds I have, of things you want to make I have so many golden dreams I've been kind of just I've been kind of just finally I feel like figuring out who I am as an artist and it's interesting because I majored in theater but I'm finding I really gravitate more towards music and art and just combining them which is kind of like theater but just um different I guess as and not just like strictly acting but I really uh there's so many things I want I want to um I 
I mean, I want to, I'm just now learning how to produce my own music and I really want to release an album one day. Uh, I am just now also, uh, I've been making a lot of art and I would love to have my art in a gallery. I would love to have like my own art studio, my own art gallery. I would love to have like my own art installation one day that I sell tickets to and it's like this big interactive thing um yeah I have a lot of a lot of ideas um <laughs> a lot of ideas and hopes and dreams and those seen... are just a few <laughs> yeah yeah I've seen some of your painting online or would you say your visual art is mainly painting or do you make other kinds of things too uh, mostly painting. I mean, I do kind of like whatever media strikes my fancy at the moment, but I've been really into painting. One day I want to do like a really big painting one day when I have the space for it. But, um, yeah, I mostly do painting like acrylic painting, gouache painting, watercolor painting, and I've been kind of exploring the kind of the kind of different styles I want to dip my toes in. I really like surrealism. I really like painting galaxies. I really like painting um, just things that bring me joy. I've been painting cats recently because I'm a cat lover. <laughs> uh, I kind of really like the idea of taking things that are maybe like ordinary and turning them into something more extraordinary and just kind of imagining the what the world can be in my art. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> And what sort of music do you like making? So I I mainly do, um, I mean, it's funny because right now I'm producing something that's so not acoustic, but I mainly do like acoustic stuff. And I'm very much into, um, like the most important thing to me is the lyrics. So I'm very much into songwriting and writing uh, my own lyrics and putting a lot of heart and soul into them because that's kind of how I process things most of the time and so yeah just kind of music about you know my emotions and how I'm feeling <laughs> and stuff like that and I kind of hesitate to share what I've recently written I share like older things because I'm like <laughs> I don't want people to know exactly how I'm feeling in the moment you know like to keep yeah, guessing yeah. <laughs> well I I notice and I'm not picking on you here but that you were almost a little bit dismissive about saying oh it's just about my feelings but those are important right yeah like they, <laughs> and I I know um this is something else that bothers me a lot when some people speak about female artists of any kind is oh our work is so emotional our work is so confessional our work is uh can be very oh, this is what it's like to be a sad girl. <laughs> but these these feelings are all valid and worth expressing. Real, yeah. Yeah, and if a guy gets to do his sad song, yeah, like... can't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely love to embrace being a sad girl. Sometimes, not all the time. <laughs> Happy girl, too. <laughs> Happy girl, too. Sometimes mad girl, sometimes, you know. <laughs> yeah, whatever feelings. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Julia. I have so enjoyed having you on the Badass Lady Folk. My dear listeners, we air every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern on Radio Free Brooklyn. 
And if you've been Googling, you probably notice that uh, I do release the show on other podcast platforms later, uh, just kind of trickle here and there, trying to figure out what that schedule is. But I'm really trying to encourage everyone to listen to the episodes live, uh, not live, but when they first air on Radio (laughs) Free Brooklyn, Fridays, 9 a.m. All right. I'm your host, Christine Stoddard. Bye. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.